Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with my co-host, Matthew Gold, co-founder and CEO of Unstoppable Domains. And I am super excited to have him back here with me today to talk all about digital identity and decentralized identity. I think this is uh, has sort of become this catchphrase that everybody on the internet is using digital identity, but nobody really talks about what it actually means. And so today, Matt is joining me to actually break down what digital identity means, what decentralized identity means. So thank you so much, Matt, for being here. Uh, glad to be here. And this is one of my favorite topics. Perfect, perfect. So I think before we dive into decentralized identity or talking about any aspects of how identity will look in the future, we need to look to what what identity has meant to us traditionally. So when we think about identity traditionally, what what do we actually what are we actually talking about? Like what aspects make up a person's identity? What shapes our identity? Uh, let's just set the stage here. Yeah. So uh, I think an important thing to realize about identity is that it's bottoms up and your identity is composed of a lot of different pieces of your life and they come together and that's what forms who you are. And when people think about identity, probably the thing they think about instantly is like their driver's license. And that would be an example of something like your legal identity or maybe your social security number or date of birth or passport. Uh, you also have identities across basically every social network that you interact with. So you have your professional identity, and that's uh, you know where you work or where you went to school uh, for your education, your professional affiliations, your LinkedIn, your resume. Um, then you also have maybe your social identity. If you're a big person on TikTok or Twitter or any of these other places, that's your identity across these social platforms online. Uh, you may even have multiple different personalities <laughs> across, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you have multiple different ways that you talk about yourself on these social platforms, for instance, my dog has an Instagram, right? And so I'm also posting as my dog in addition to myself. Um, but that's still like another component of who I am. And then you have your, uh, like maybe your more personal identity. Maybe this is your religious affiliation or, you know, your core values, uh, things about yourself uh, that you would want to keep a little bit more private. And there's a whole bunch of other things out there I didn't touch on. It can be anything from chess club, like you identify as that person who's really good at chess, all the way to like your uh, favorite uh, place to shop online, right? If you're, if you're a real big fan of some of these um, different brands that are out there. So identity is big and it is broad uh, and it is bottoms up would be what I would tell people when they think about identity. Yeah. And another thing hearing you talk about that, it sounds like identity is kind of complex when we're thinking about, you know, the traditional world that we come from. What are some issues that we face in our day to day revolving around identity, any of those types of identity that you just listed? So I think one of the biggest challenges we have is just how complicated it is to uh, be able to share and use the information that you generate about yourself on all these different places that you have built an identity. So, um, you know, like you were trying to suggest there, identity is very contextual. Like you may behave a little bit differently at church than you do at the club, at least I do. But they're both you, right? But there's some information you might want to transfer from one of these uh, groups that you interact with to another one of these groups because they could be, you know, applicable. Uh, and 
it's tough because all of this information is siloed. Most of it is analog. And I would say like 99% of it is analog. The parts that are digital are done in a way that is very analog focused, right? So like, you know, you, you may have a digital copy of your insurance, uh, but when I get pulled over, I still have a paper copy in my car, right? I like to have both because uh, maybe the police officer doesn't have the whatever. And so he needs to see um, that form uh, of proof for me. So I think identity right now, the biggest problem is that it's distributed across all these different places. So like, you know, your identity is literally distributed across dozens of different groups that you're in and different places where you have built context for yourself. There's no great way for you to carry it around with you as you as you go about your daily life. And that's, I think, part of the exciting things that we're starting to see develop here uh, around digital identity. Yeah, I think one of the biggest headaches that I face on a regular basis, and I know this is like my fault for forgetting to carry my ID with me everywhere I go, but is going to the bar and just trying to get a beer casually and having them look at me and think, nope, she's not 21, can't get a beer. And I'm like, is there no other way for me to prove to you? Like, can I show you my LinkedIn? Can I like, like show you like my diploma or anything to prove that I, I am in fact over the age of 21? Uh, so it'd be really cool to have all of that you know, digital somehow instead of analog. Yeah. And if you think about it, it probably makes sense, right? Like if you were able to uh, verify your education credentials back to your LinkedIn resume and they could see that you graduated with your, you know, PhD in rocket science in 2007, right? When they check you at the bar, you could show them your LinkedIn and be like, listen, I got my PhD in rocket science in 2007. No way I'm under 21. They'd be like, yeah, that's probably true because they can see that's verified. Or you could even just have your driver's license verified back to your LinkedIn. Sounds like a little scary to me, but maybe that's the future state of the world because you're, when you are interacting with these different apps, you're able to upload that data that you can take with you. Um, so you don't have to waste a lot of time and you don't even necessarily have to upload that particular data, but maybe you just verify that data, like verify your age. You don't have to actually upload your driver's license to LinkedIn or wherever, but they would just be able to check and make sure that you are telling the truth on your resume, for instance. Yeah, for sure. So we're already starting to get into this, you know, this uh, Web3 world and what identity will look like there. But zooming out a bit more broadly, when we think forward to what our digital identity is going to look like in a Web3 world, what what like what do you think about? Like, how do you see that playing out? Well, the first thing that I think about is the number of people on the planet who do not have a way to prove who they are. And that number is actually really big. Um, and it's in the billions, like several billion people. They just don't have any access to prove who, who they are. And it's because they we have these really old systems. And again, you know, we're lucky to live in a place where, you know, even though it's a pain to go to the DMV, I can, right? And I can get my driver's license. And I can get that. But there's a lot of places and a lot of people who don't have access to being able to prove who they are. And if you think about it, that makes it really hard to build reputation, makes it really hard to build a business uh, and create a life for yourself. So when I start thinking about identity, the first thing I think about is uh, all the people who uh, would love to have a much easier way to uh, prove information about themselves because um, it would allow them to get a, like a toehold into the economy that they really just can't enter right now. So that's my first, that's kind of like my first step uh, when I'm thinking about identity is how I think it can change the way that people interact. And then the next thing I think about is the system design around making it much easier to uh, move around. And I think that's mostly about taking all this analog information that we have and putting it on these, you know, creating a digital uh, copy of that and allowing users to 
uh, carry that around with them uh, as they that way that they can be in charge of their own identity instead of having the government or some large corporation like Facebook log in or something like this have control over their identity. Got it. Got it. So when we're talking about, you know, having a, a truly decentralized identity, what does that look like in the day to day? Is it whether I'm logging into my credit card online to pay my credit card bill or whether I'm logging into my social media, I'm using, you know, like one lot, like I'm logging in with my wallet, for instance, instead of all these separate uh, types or how does that play out in like the day to day? I think the first thing is that it's going to be an extension of regular identity. And just like, cause it's very easy for you to create another identity on Twitter or TikTok or something else like that. So I think what you're going to see is just people are going to bolt on these new digital identifiers to their, to their daily life. And then they're going to start building on top of those uh, different types of information. And then applications are going to begin to read off of those digital identifiers instead of having siloed identity systems independently from each other. So the good news is I think that the way that digital identity evolves is it's not like a you have to replace the entire old system overnight. I think it's kind of a thing that builds over time. And it's going to start off on these very interesting – I think it's going to start in crypto because that's where the innovation is, right? And there's all sorts of interesting things that are already happening with identity. I think NFTs were a really big move on this pace – I'm sorry, in, in this direction. What we learned with all these collectibles that are out there is that uh, people like to – if they're going to associate themselves with some sort of uh, digital item, like a picture, like a CryptoPunk or uh, any of these other you know, famous NFT projects, then maybe they want to make that their Twitter profile or something. The, the, import, the important thing is they want to find some way to express who they are that makes them feel uh, like they have some sort of attachment to it. And that was what was kind of happening with this NFT craze. And so when I see all these people buying up these NFTs and then associating them back to their their profile, whether that's a CryptoPunk or a blockchain domain name um, or any one of the other hundreds of different uh, little NFT projects that have come up there, I see that as like the starting place for digital identity. So what I'm trying to say is the first thing you're going to do is you're going to pick something that you want to represent you as a digital identity. And that could be an avatar. It could be a, you know something in Decentraland. It could be a CryptoPunk. It could be a blockchain domain name. And then you're going to use that item to attach more information about yourself. And you can see this, like people are attaching their Twitter accounts to their blockchain domain name, or they're, and they've been doing that for a while, or maybe they're attaching their you know, CryptoPunk to uh, different avatars inside of these metaverse worlds, right? And, and that becomes a part of their identity. So that's this is where I see the innovation happening. And if we just fast forward that uh, several years, there's no reason why I can't have a driver's license associated with my CryptoPunk. And I know that sounds kind of kind of goofy, and I know it is a little bit goofy, but that's like, you know, uh, it's hard to know exactly where the innovation process is going to take you. Uh, but like, it would be kind of funny if you're at the bar and, and you just like, yeah, this is this is me, the CryptoPunk, and I'm going to get a beer. Um, I don't know if that's going to be possible, but uh, I think... I think this is where the innovation is, is going to happen, and it's going to be bottoms up one step at a time, probably with less regulated industries to begin with. So that actually brings up a pretty interesting point, which is that we are seeing more more and more people, at least on crypto Twitter, replacing a photo of themselves with an avatar or one of the new NFT profile pics. And we're seeing more and more people shifting towards this anonymous or at least like pseudonymous world. And I imagine we'll see more and more of that as we move towards a, a more um, Web3 world in the future. And so I'm wondering, like, how do you think this is going to impact the way that 
maybe people view their own identity or the way that people view others' identity, the way that people interact with each other based on what your identity is. Like if you're choosing to go by Matt Gold today or if you're choosing to go by CryptoPunk number whatever it is that you have or if you're choosing to go by a, you're a cool cat today, you know, or how do you think that's going to like affect, I guess, just like social interaction or how people view identity? But people under 30 are already super used to this. Like they will they will play with someone on uh, Call of Duty, right, for like 10 years and never have met this person. And they just know them by their screen handle on there and their voice because they've been talking to them forever. Um, and so they're very comfortable with like these uh, like maybe more, you know, like kind of unknown or pseudo anonymous IDs. But they know that person because they've been playing with them for 10 years. Right. So it's not a, the interesting thing for me is going to be the technology that enables these different types of identities to have superpowers right and what i mean by that is like if you can take one of these digital identifiers and then you can make it more useful so uh like you know very easy example for me is uh these blockchain domain nfts that we build on unstoppable domains and you can attach cryptocurrency addresses so you can have a digital item your blockchain domain name that you can attach your uh make it easier for people to send you payments or you can attach your twitter handle you can also see uh, people uh, using their um, NFTs to uh, like their uh, CryptoPunk or whatever to use that to create an avatar inside of some of these metaverses. And so that's an interesting use case as well, because that's a persona that they could use and in maybe inside of a video game. So I could see a future where your persona in a video game could be something that you could take outside of that video game and then interact in Discord right, <laughs> or any one of these other places so that you could be you can actually take that uh, that social interaction outside of that uh, particular context. So another way to think about this is right now, if you're on the internet and you go to Twitter, uh, it's like you, you go to the Twitter bar, right? And like you have to be inside the Twitter bar to, to talk about Twitter. And then if you go to the Reddit bar, you have to be inside of the Reddit bar to talk about Reddit or whatever. So these are all like different little things. But in the future, what's going to happen is um, you could take maybe your video game avatar from Call of Duty or whatever it is that you're doing, and then you could actually go and interact on Twitter, and you could have that avatar there. And then you could other people who also uh, play that same game that you have online could could now interact with your timeline, and uh, it's a way for you to take that community with you outside of that particular location. But it's kind of like having a T-shirt, right, that says like I'm in this group, and and right now on the internet, every time you go to different application or you interact with a different um, social community you are just you know uh, you're just a member of that community whatever that is and you're unique and you're just a piece of that pie but you can't bring with you you know essentially like a t-shirt that you're wearing to that community that says hey i have a crypto punk or hey i also play call of duty online or this video game where i really support this youtuber right and this is you know you're seeing influencers uh issue social tokens or social nfts or things like this this is what's going to happen is your id is becoming portable across uh, the digital landscape and eventually i think your id is going to be portable across the physical landscape um which we can talk about a little bit more because there's interesting things that are happening there as well I assume you're you're talking about like the metaverse versus, you know, like the physical world that we live in. How are we going to balance those two worlds, if you will? Yeah, well, I think what's happening is, is the digital world is just going to make the information that you're generating offline and online a lot easier to share so that when you go to new places, 
people can have more information about you. So an interesting comment that we actually talked about internally at Unstoppable was if you post on Twitter a lot, you probably have some Twitter trolls, right, who follow up. So if you look at your threads or wherever you are online, there's probably a lot of people who are not adding value, right, to your community. And wouldn't it be nice if there was a way for you to gate your community um, around ensuring that people who want to participate uh, have some skin in the game. And there's a couple of things like this already that are that people are working on, but it's basically like, hey, if you, you can imagine a future where, hey, if you want to participate in this digital community, you also have to have gone to the meetup in real life, right? Right. So like if you want to if you want to come and talk about CryptoPunks, then you had to go to a meetup and check in at a CryptoPunk meetup in, in you know, one of the 20 cities where they had them. And this way you're not just going to get trolls talking about, oh, this is, you know, this is not real art or whatever. All, none of those people go because they won't take the time to go and invest in building in that community. And this is a much nicer way to ensure that the people participating are uh, people who have skin in the game. And this is, you know, a wide problem that you have interacting between in the digital world and adding some real world data to that can really make it a lot easier. Um, Another one that I may have talked about a lot earlier is like, you know, if I wanted to participate in a forum about my neighborhood watch association or my uh, homeowners association, you know, if I have to prove that I actually live in that neighborhood and that would be super useful. And we have this problem in the United States where like you have people complaining about something that one community is doing in like Nevada or Texas and the people complaining, you know, live in uh, Baltimore or New York and then vice versa. And you're like, why is this person even a part of this conversation? And that's the type of thing that you can do. So I think they're going to interact well. Uh, We still live in the real world and building some of those hooks in that will make the digital world better. Like the, the this real world, you know, skin in the game type of thing is going to ensure that the um, digital world can have better spaces. At least that's what I'm hopeful for. For sure. Yeah. I love your point about, you know, like if there's a way to prove that you're at some physical event before you can engage in a digital community, I think, you know, a lot of people are scared about the notion that we're moving towards a more and more digital world, that we're going to be interacting more on the metaverse. Like, what is this going to do to future generations? What is it going to do to kids? They're already, you know, have their faces buried in screens all day. This is just going to make it worse. Like, are kids ever going to run around and play outside anymore? Are people all just going to be like robots talking to each other behind a screen? Obviously, we don't know the answer to that, and we are part of the process of building out the answer to that. But I I think there's definitely a possibility to uh, build out a a world, a metaverse where our social interactions and our relationships with one another are actually strengthened compared to what they are now. And so to your example, you know, right now, it's like if you're on Twitter at all, like you've seen trolls, if you look at any person on Twitter with a big following, you just scroll through their comments, you can see that like the majority of those comments are just troll comments, like they don't add any value. And so in a world where you know, you can verify like, oh, you can only enter this Uh, gated community of people with a similar interest in say like NFTs, if you have already attended X number of NFT events or completed these courses on blockchain technology so that you can have smart and, you know, valuable conversations, I think that'll actually strengthen our relationships and our social interactions with each other a lot more than um, compared to today. And then on the business side, it can actually be very practical for certain types of businesses. Like it could be um, if you are applying for a loan, right, or you want to borrow money for something, we can make sure that you've attended these 
very specific educational events. Like, you know, you don't get to take a student loan until you've actually sat down through a course and, you know, like taken a couple hours and had someone tell, you know, talk to a financial planner or something like this, or you can't get a house loan or, you know, and maybe these types of things are also super useful to be able to prove about who you are and then prove that you've done these things. And right now these are all siloed. <laughs> so, uh, like I remember when I was, um, younger and I got my driver's license, I went to like a driver's ed course and that was, you know, required by my mom. Right. But, but also like, you know, helped me get a reduced price on my insurance. And right now all of this is done very like one off, like, uh, the, like, you know, fax a copy I'm really old, but like fax a copy of your certificate for whatever to the insurance company and then they verify it and then you're good to go. But if we could put all of this identity information, cause that's, I mean, that's what that is. It's like you have attended that course. Right. Um, and we can put that, we can make that digital and then the users own it. I think this is really important that you as the user own and control it, then, uh, you can allow other apps to access that data. Uh, so it's, it becomes much more powerful cause you can use that you know, forever. And right now there's really no one incentivized because you can't own your data or the identifying information about yourself. There's no way for you to easily collect all the different pieces of data that you create about yourself right now. Um, no one's really tracking it or keeping it, uh, in a, in a way that's, you know, shareable easily. So I think if we give that back to consumers, they'll take better care of that data than all of these different random companies. Once they have that data in better form, we're going to see how much easier that makes us to, have all sorts of interactions like it's going to make it easier like you're saying for having online communities it could also be easier for doing things uh like something as mundane as writing a loan for a business yeah for sure i think it's also going to make transacting financially a lot fairer and so right now you know because we don't own all of our all of the pieces that shape our our, our identity in one central location if you wanted to take out a loan for instance you'd have to walk into the bank you'd have to show your face to whoever works at the bank and then convince them that you are a qualified individual for this loan and that you're super qualified and should have the lowest rate possible but in going through that process you have to show your face there they're going to see what you look like you know and there's inherent human biases that are that we can't control like there's no way to get rid of of that fully in any human being. And so if there's a way to, in a central place, collect all of our credentials that we've accrued that go under our identity and show like, you know, I've, I've attended all of these courses on how to be responsible financially. Uh, I've done X and Y and Z and all of these things and just prove that in one location, like send that through, then you would think that like the process of approving you or denying you or deciding what rate to give you on your interest is going to be much fairer. You can basically just, there's a formula for that. You can just go through the list and, you know, say, if you've completed this, then this is your rate. If you completed this, this is your rate. And that element of identity that I think some people are afraid of and uh, some people are, you know, maybe like, I don't want to say shamed of, but like choose to hide because of what society says about certain types of identity. I think all of that will be eliminated and people will feel a lot more comfortable like coming into their full identity. I have like a specific example for this. I think it's funny. So like if you've ever applied for a mortgage, you'll know that they require so many documents. It's ridiculous. Like they need like absolutely everything. And it is just a pain to chase all that stuff down. And if you think about it, like uh, it's a lot easier to chase down all those documents. 
if you know you you fit certain profile car uh like if you've been in the same place for 20 years it's easier if you trace down everything than if you've moved every three years um, and that has nothing to do with that person right or their ability to repay the loan it's just like oh i move every three years because i get a new apartment it's much harder for me to track down my rental history for the last five because i got to go back and get these other things which makes it kind of a pain and another one is your credit score and this is super annoying if you ever applied for a loan for a car or something you know that every time you go to a new place you're going to ping your credit report and like you know that hurts your credit score and i know when i try to go i like take a copy of my credit report with me i'm like see here's my credit report i promise you and they're like no we can't use that and the reason they can't is there's no way for me as an individual to uh keep a copy of my credit records that they can know is like you know verified and valid and that's the kind of thing i mean that would be really nice for people to be able to keep about themselves. Like that's a piece of my identity. Like how good am I at repaying loans? And uh, there's no reason that some other company should own that like Equifax and then they get hacked. And then there's 300 million records out there on the web where people are just using it to apply for loans uh, fraudulently or whatever, or what have you. So it's much better, I think, if you own your information about yourself as an individual. I also really like that just from a fundamental rights perspective. I like the idea that as a human being, you get to be the one in ownership of the information about yourself instead of relying on third parties. I think it's also uh, just a, I think it's a better data model because you're going to be incentivized to keep keep that record information. And then you can also choose who you share it with, you know, each time independently. And you don't have to like go run and chase down some third party who maybe doesn't have the same incentive to get it right like the credit the credit report company does not have uh you know like the, the number one best interest of making sure that their records are accurate all the time uh and like i'm going to make sure that i do a better job of that so we'll see i know th and this stuff is not going to happen uh, quickly but i think we're starting to see it and, and it's and i think it's fun because in the nft community you're seeing people because they can finally own things they're starting to attach pieces of their of themselves to those things that they own. And that is the basis, I think, for digital identity. Like you want to identify with something, you pick it, and then you need to own it. Uh, whatever that thing is, and then you can and then you can start building on it. So I think we're there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love seeing the craze with like the NFT profile picks and avatars. And I think that is just uh, that's a really good step towards, you know, having all of us really identify with and own our identities. This is something too that when I, you know, told my people on Twitter that we were recording this episode, got a ton of comments and questions of, about things that other people wanted to know about digital identity and decentralized identity. So I'm going to run through some of those Twitter questions from our community. Um, the first one we have is from Albert. He's actually got two questions. So the first one is, why did you, as in Unstoppable Domains, decide to let people buy domains as NFTs to keep forever versus re the rental system? Yeah. Uh, so, and that's because I think it's core for you to own things if you're going to invest in them over time. So I think that, you know, I really want people to start building their digital lives and their digital presence. Uh, and instead of building them on a platform like Twitter or uh, Instagram or someone who can take that away from you, I think it's important that you actually own it. So I actually view that as like a core problem of the Internet today is that you can't own those things. And I think it's really bad when they kick you off. So like if you get kicked off of Twitter, you lose all those followers, you lose a lot of things about yourself. And I'm very interested in helping to build systems where if Twitter kicks you off, you still have your little identity and you can just go use Twitter too. And they can't do anything about that. And this is a big topic in the crypto space. So um, yeah, that's why I think owning it is actually core. 
Well, then on a bigger scale, too, we just saw a few months ago, Argentina lost its Google domain, right? So some some person was able to purchase like the Argentina Google.com, like Google.com.ar or whatever it is for Argentina for like really cheap. And uh, they legit just like lost their Google, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, it's better to just let people own these things. I'm also just tired of having a SaaS product. You know, like I'm tired of having to pay an annual fee. It'd be nice to just be able to own something for a while. And there's no reason why you shouldn't own your digital real estate. For sure. For sure. All right. So Albert's other question is, what is the biggest gap in using decentralized ID today? There's actually a related question from Shaw. Uh, what is the biggest risk of decentralized identity? Mm. So I actually think those are two different questions. So the biggest gap, the biggest gap for decentralized identity today is probably making it really easy for users to add more information about themselves to their digital identities. And um, there's a there's a lot of reasons why that's hard. Again, it's just UX is difficult. And when you're building these new systems, like what should it look like? And and I think that's going to get solved because a lot of energy is on them. The next one from Russ, and I actually think this is actually. I mean, sorry, from Shaw, where he's like, what is the biggest risk of, a de of decentralized identity? I think this is a good one, um, is that I think that it could be used as a way to uh, exert much more control over your behavior online. Like, so if you think it's bad that Twitter can kick you off right now, uh, imagine a future where if Twitter banned you, that your Instagram account and your Reddit account and all the other accounts were also turned off at the same time, right? And so that would be even worse. And that's the direction we don't want to go. So so if we're building digital identities, this is why I said to Albert, like, I think the most important thing is you have to own it. Um, because if you own it, if Twitter kicks you off their platform, that's not going to have any impact on what Reddit does or what Instagram does. They could agree to do something like that if they wanted to, but that would be a different thing. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the biggest risks is having anyone other than you own your digital identity. And this is new. Um, this hasn't ever existed before because there was no way to really own digital property until we had blockchains. Um, but I think it's super important. And I hope that we end up in a system where you, the end user, actually own that digital identity. And I think you should look for projects that let you do that. I think that that's, you know, it's key and it may not seem that big of a deal now, uh, but you know, there could be a future state where that could be abused. So yeah, that's my, as the digital life becomes more important and a much bigger part of your life, uh, like blocking someone's digital ID, you could just imagine like that could be really dangerous. And so that I think is the biggest risk for decentralized identity. We don't want to fall under any of these, uh, large corporate, uh, structures or large government structures for digital identity. I'm not a big fan of government identity projects just in general. I think that's scary. I'm not a big fan of uh, corporate-based identity projects. I really think that you need to have identity built from the ground up where the user owns it and then they can choose what they attach back to themselves. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Russ wants to know what projects do you see leading the charge for decentralized identity and what do they need to gain mass adoption? I, we mentioned several of these earlier in the podcast, but I think that basically all of these projects where people are joining com uh, communities and then claiming a piece of that community and then associating that back to themselves are our leaders in the space. So this is all of these, you know, one of 10,000 NFT projects. These are all the uh, domain name projects where you're seeing people post those up on their Twitter profiles. It's all the art that people are posting in. And I think those are the leaders because you need to be able to own something. And, and I think that the best 
thing to own is some sort of NFT, just technically right now, I think that's a good way to do it. Uh, and then you're tying back other information to that. So I think those projects are leading. There's some very cool ones that are also working on uh, like different types of rewards programs, which I think is also super interesting uh, for crypto, where like if you have a crypto punk, then you also get a crypto dog. And that's kind of like a rewards program if you think about it. And I think that's really cool too. Um, so I would say those are, uh, and that may actually be the board apes uh, yacht club. So sorry if I got that wrong. Uh, so if you own a board ape, you get a dog. I'll have to look at, uh, there's so many, but I think these are all cool experiments. Um, I'd like to think that Ensemble Domains, of course, is a leader in this space, and we're going to be leaning and even heavier on this uh, over the next year um, to help kind of bring more of this to life. Yeah, cool. And then speaking of like cool new projects leading the charge for decentralized identity, Zori wants to know, is POAP, a uh, proof of attendance protocol, useful for ID? And we actually sort of already alluded to this, but if you have anything to add on that front. Yeah, no, I think, and this has been around for a while. There's been several of these uh, over the years in the Ethereum community, where it's like you proved you went to this conference and you got a special NFT or something like that for attending. Um, and I, I think they're cool because they help bridge real world to digital life or, you know, other types of interactions back to uh, your your digital your digital ID. So, yeah, I think it's cool to be able to say I went to this event or I attended this conference or this educational series or whatever as a, as a way to gate people into uh, communities. For sure. And then last question from Twitter. This is from David. He wants to know, uh, curious about your thoughts on the single sign-on with blockchain. Yeah, my thoughts here are it's still early, like very, very early. And there are several companies working on this, including Unstoppable. Uh, I think it's very interesting. It opens up a lot of possibilities for users to permission access uh, to data about themselves and and like share that data with apps that they're using. Um, so I think basically right now the sky's the limit on what this could potentially impact the implementation is a bit complex and i think that people need to work through how do we want to tie more data like generalize a lot of different types of data back to your uh, your identity which which could be located on the blockchain so one of these nfts for instance um, a blockchain domain name or even a ethereum address so i would say very very interesting very very early uh, unsure exactly how it's going to be implemented, um, but definitely something that we're looking at at Unstoppable. For sure. Exciting stuff. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Matt, so much for joining me on this episode. Any final thoughts on digital identity or decentralized identity before we wrap up here? Well, I would say that this is probably one of the most interesting things that people are working on in blockchain over the next couple of years. And uh, I believe Vitalik had a great talk where he talked about use cases uh, beyond finance, you know, beyond decentralized finance for the blockchain and ID was one of the ones that was really high up on his list. Uh, so I think it's a great place to kind of dig in and you know, Unstoppable Domains is definitely going to be right in the middle of this over the next couple of years and helping to bring it to our users. Awesome. Great way to wrap it up. Thanks again so much, Matt. Thank you everybody for tuning in. If you've got more questions for Matt, go ahead and hit him up on Twitter at Matthew E. Gold, and you can pester him with questions there. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.